Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, January the 10th, 2023. It is currently 2.54 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, can you sense that? Do you feel that? Oh, come on, come on. Do do you feel it? Do you sense it? I, I hope you do, because that feeling, what you're sensing, is we are about to begin another great Bible study. That's what we are about to do. We are about to begin another wonderful Bible study over the next six to seven weeks. I hope you are excited. I hope you're ready. Um, now, what, what is somewhat kind of disappointing is sometimes that feeling, that that sense we get at the beginning of a Bible study, right? Where you're like, oh, this is going to be brand new. And you have all these ideas. Oh, I bet you we're going to cover this. We're going to cover this. And it should be fun. It should be wonderful. It should be great. I know, I know that feeling is there sometimes at the beginning and then halfway through, well, this is not really going the direction I wanted it to go, or, or you just start losing that excitement. And about the end, you're like, I'm glad this is over. I hope that doesn't happen, but I'm not foolish enough to think that it will not happen because there's always that potential. But I do my best. I really do try to ensure that the Bible study hopefully stays as engaging as it can be. Sometimes I know that I fail to do that, but I always try to to throw in different things and different ideas to keep you engaged and hopefully keep you moving forward till we complete a particular study. This one I'm a little bit I'm a little bit concerned with because I feel the Curriculum wants to go one direction, and I'm kind of looking at the curriculum going, nope, 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 nope. We're going to go my direction. We're going to go my direction, and uh, but I'm going to still try to utilize the curriculum to get to my direction. So I'm going to be using curriculum. That's that We'll just use it just as an illustration. I'm going to be using curriculum that wants to go south, and I'm going to be trying to take us north. Okay, so there's going to be some conflict here. I hope that I can take what the curriculum hands me and use it to move us north. I'm I'm hoping I can pull that off. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. So let's do this. Now, let, let me explain. Today, probably tomorrow, maybe one more episode. There's going to be two or three episodes that we do between now and, say, Sunday. These don't really count towards the actual Bible study. This is just kind of getting us ready. This is kind of just kind of a preview, kind of just priming the pump, getting us, just getting us ready for the actual study. But I I don't know if there's going to be like, ooh, there's the major transition from kind of the preview to the actual study. I think you'll be able to tell, but I I just thought that we would go ahead and get started. I I did, I worked on Psalm 139 at church. We, We did it together as a congregation. That was kind of what we're supposed to do this week is kind of work on Psalm 139. And I kind of took care of that for you. Hopefully you found that to be beneficial and helpful. So I was going to wait until Sunday to really introduce the first week of study, but I thought, you know, there's some things that are showing up here on my podcast, uh, one of my podcast apps. I I think we're going to just go ahead and get a preview. I think we're just going to go ahead and try to get everyone ready. So, and hopefully this will be beneficial. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to open up the curriculum. And the curriculum has... Introduction. Introduction. So I'm going to let them introduce the study, and then immediately I'm going to hijack it and going to use it for my own purposes, all right? Now, I do find it interesting that the curriculum for the first week of the study, and they're going to introduce the, the next, like, six weeks, it says introduction, and then it has a, a picture of a phone, but it's not like a modern day cell phone. It's an old like rotary phone where, you know, you, you put your, you, you know, you, you dialed the numbers that way. And so it's interesting. I, I don't know exactly why they have the picture of this rotary phone. I don't know why. 
I, I, I'm always interpreting pictures. I know, I know, I know, I know. You probably could care less. But anytime I open up anything, I don't care what kind of book it is, I, I see the picture and I always sit there going, I wonder, because I know someone didn't just randomly choose one. I always feel like that there's a purpose. There's a symbolism in it. I, I think maybe I could see why, because it's really, well, it's got the numbers there, but it's also got got the letters, right? For example, the number seven are the letters S-T-U. The number eight is W-X-Y. So I think maybe they want us to see the numbers and they want us to see the letters. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. All right. Here is how it begins. And immediately, every red flag that I own, I would immediately throw them out right now. Every alarm system in my mind goes crazy as soon as I read the very first words. Here we go. Here we go. Are you ready? All right. Am I building up suspense? Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Underneath that photograph of the phone, of the rotary phone, are these words. How to discern the voice of God. Oh, 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 man, I have so many problems with that. Now, look, I, I don't I, I subscribe to hundreds and hundreds of Christian podcasts, and I cannot tell you how many times I will get I will see that some episode has been uploaded with something about discerning the voice of God, hearing the voice of God, how to discern the will of God in your life, how to find the will of God in your life. And, and they give you all of these steps and all of these proce- procedures and all of these methods on how, you, are you sure that's God's voice? Are you sure that's God's will? How to discern it, how to hear it, how to know it. And I, it, it always, I just want to scream and scream and scream. Here's how you discern the voice of God. You, you want to let me help you out? Here's how you discern the voice of God. Are you reading scripture? If you're reading scripture, that's God's word. If you're not reading scripture, then that's not God's word, okay? There you go. It's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. I have taken the mystery completely completely out of it. I know I have ruined it for everyone. I'm sorry for all of the, those who've written hundreds and hundreds of books on how I'm supposed to be discerning all of this, but it's very simple. If you want to hear the voice of God, read the scriptures. If you want to hear the voice of God out loud, read out loud. The end. The end. There's no internal voice. There's no feeling, emotion. That that's 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 it. That's that's what it means. All right. That's that's what it means. Period. But clearly, when they say how to discern the voice of God, no, 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 no. They've got a whole different idea behind it. Let's read what they have to say. All right. Here. Oh boy. Oh boy. Here we go. God speaks in diverse ways. <laughs> okay, let me help them out. God has spoken in diverse ways. Diverse way, diverse way, whether you use King James or a different one. Diverse ways. God has spoken in diverse ways. It is absolutely true when I read through the Bible that God spoke to people in many different ways. Dreams, visions, audibly, all of these different ways. I will completely agree with you, but I believe all of those diverse ways, all of those diverse ways have now gone away because we have the completed, perfect, inspired word of God. And now there's no mysterious, mystical, trying to figure it out. God told me this. Well, God told me that. Okay, I was driving this way and God told me to take a different way. God told me not to park in that parking lot. Whatever all the craziness that people claim God is telling them. No, he's giving us his word. The word is the final authority. It is the only authority. So here we go. So they, they, they don't say this in past tense. God has spoken in diverse ways. What he, they, they want us to understand God is still speaking to us in diverse ways. 
Sometimes it is in a spectacular fashion. And other times it occurs through ordinary experiences. Please note, they're talking present tense, present tense. When people consider God's voice, they often think of words spoken audibly. And the Bible, God did speak audibly to people, but he also communicated through angels, a burning bush, dreams, visions, donkeys, prophets, preachers, as well as many other ways. The key was never how God spoke, but that he spoke. It is astounding that Almighty God, who spoke an entire universe into existence, would choose to speak to us. Sadly, many people have never learned to recognize God's voice. So according to the curriculum, God is still speaking to you and to me, and he can do it in spectacular ways or ordinary ways. But the problem isn't that God is, and so according to them, the problem isn't that God isn't speaking. That's not the problem. The problem isn't God is speaking. The problem is that people cannot discern it's God's voice. So God is out there speaking, 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 but people are like, do, 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 and God's like, I'm trying to speak to you. Oh, don't discern it. Can't discern it. So the problem isn't that God is not speaking. The problem is that people aren't discerning it. Please note, we have the word discern in the very first line how to discern the voice of God. And then we have right here in the second paragraph, they don't have the word discern, but they have the word how to recognize God's voice, which would be another way of saying how to discern God's voice. In a world filled with a cacophony of voices, it is crucial to be able to discern, there's the word again, God's voice from every other voice. This subject is crucial if you are to experience all that God intends for you. So if you want to experience everything God intends for you, you will not experience it unless you can discern the voice of God. Oh, man. This, this, is, this is literally everything I loathe. Okay, this, this, this like these first two, two paragraphs... If you were to say just things, theological things that make you just want to scream, start drinking, renounce your faith, and just move to a deserted island somewhere to never be heard from again, it's those paragraphs. That stuff drives me crazy because it's like it gives us this picture. There's God. and He's like, he's talking. You know, he's saying words and people are just like, oh, oh, don't, I don't hear God. I don't hear God. And like, the problem is you. The problem isn't God. The problem is you. And guess what? Until you can discern God's voice, you will never experience all that God intends for you. So God is like, I'm trying to talk to this person. I want them to experience everything I intend, but my intentions aren't going to happen until they can hear my voice, but I can't make them hear my voice. So they've got to figure out how they can hear my voice. And it's like, it turns God into this like weak, like, oh man, I wish the people would hear me. Oh man, I have all of these wonderful things, but I just can't give them to these people because they can't hear. And so God doesn't make us hear. We've got to figure out how to hear God on our own. And it just literally, to me, it's a theological train wreck. Not only that, if God is speaking all of these different ways, and I've got to spend all of this time trying to figure out how to discern all of these different ways in which he's speaking, then what is even the point of owning a Bible? Oh, the Bible is just another way in which God speaks. See, he speaks in all of these ways. So I've got to figure out how to discern the still small voice. I've got to be able to discern how God is speaking through other people. I have to be able to discern how God is speaking through circumstances. And then I have to be able to discern how God speaks to me through his word. So I need a like a hermeneutics class. Right. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Someone just said, God told me this is all lies. Exactly. I, I, that's, I say that all the time. If you tell me God talk is talking to you, I will tell you God told me he's not talking to you. So which one of us is right? Right. But, but that's a whole different problem. But just follow me. If you follow along with this kind of way of thinking, you need a hermeneutic, you need a hermeneutical method to be able to understand and discern the voice of God in circumstances, through other people, still small voices, spectacular revelations, and then the Bible. 
So just think about this, 2,000 years of church history. Just, I want you to just really contemplate how bizarre this is to me. 2,000 years of church history. And after all of the biblical and hermeneutical studies that have occurred in 2,000 years, we still, let me make this very clear, we still cannot agree on what the scriptures actually mean by what they actually say. In some cases, we can't even agree on what it says. Now, if we already have, that means we already have plenty of problems just dealing with the Bible alone. And then this craziness comes along and says, no, 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 you got to be able to discern God's voice and all of these other ways as well. I'm like, well, I'm still trying to figure out what the Bible says. And now you're telling me I need all of these other methods and procedures and ideas to be able to discern the voice of God and all of these other ways. I, I, I just, I reject this so much. Uh, I'm going to open up the uh, Spreaker app because someone else uh, made a comment and it's not all showing up on my computer. So let me open it up. Someone just said, I have never felt more, I have never felt more spiritual burden than when I believe this. Also, Bible is definitely second fiddle to the personal experience in this. I cannot explain the weight of this. Now see that someone who's gone, someone who's lived in this world, they're expressing what it's like. And I, and I, I, I can, look, I was, I was never in it. I was, I, my introduction to this was just very brief, right? My early Christian life, you know, I, I found Christians always saying, God told me this, and God told me this, and God told me that. It's just standard stuff that, you know, a pastor standing behind the pulpit, I was going to preach this, and God told me, you know, and, and it's, and every time they say it, in my mind, I, and this, I was brand new Christian, I'd be like, okay, so I would need to write, like, if I wrote down what God told them, it would be in quotation marks, so... I, I guess that that's on the same level as the Bible. Then I, I was told it wasn't on the same level of the Bible, but then they told me it was still God talking to them. I'm like, if it was God talking to them, how can it not be on the same level of the Bible? Because if I was to write it down, I'd put it in quotation marks. And so I was just baffled by all of it. So I played along for a little bit as a young Christian teenager trying to figure, okay, I think God is telling me this. Okay, I think God is telling me this. I tried to play along with it. And at some point I became like, this is delusional nonsense, right? I'm just going with some feeling and claiming that it's God. And if I'm sitting here trying to hear God say all of these other things, this person admits it, at least in their experience, the Bible becomes second fiddle. Now, the people in it would never claim that to be like, no, the Bible, the Bible. But it's always, God told me this, God told me this, God told me this. And it's not, God told me this, and then they quote a scripture. It's, God told me this, and then they say something that's not recorded in the Bible. So this is just a, a world, I, hmm, this world, I don't understand this world. It, it's crazy. But let's see. Where, where, where we're going with this. All right, here we go. Now, again, make sure you understand this. This subject is crucial. According to the curriculum for this study, this subject is crucial if you're going to experience all that God intends for you. And I want you to understand this. Hundreds of thousands of churches and Christians use this curriculum all around the country. And this is not coming from a charismatic denomination. This, these would be the curriculum that you would find in many Baptist and Southern Baptist churches, which shows the wild influence of charismatic theology into the rest of Christianity. This is not sola scriptura. This, to me, is an utter denial of sola scriptura. They go on to say, when God speaks, it sounds exactly what he has already said through the Bible. No, no, stop right here. I hear this all the time. No, no, no. We're not saying that God doesn't say anything that's different from the Bible. He'll say nothing that contradicts the Bible. I'm like, well, then why do you need anything else if it's going to just be in agreement with the Bible? And then slowly but surely, look what happens. Okay, well, I mean, it's not that it's in the Bible, but it won't disagree with the Bible. But in many cases, it's something so vague that you would have no way to really test it with the Bible or not, because it'll be like, well, God told me, I should do this or God. And you're like, where did the Bible is not giving you those kinds of directions. So it becomes extra biblical, no matter how much they want to connect it to scripture. I've watched the game be played so many times. And as much as they want to connect it to the Bible, it becomes extra biblical. In some cases, I think it triumphs the scriptures themselves. We can all expect 
and believe that God will speak to us through the Bible. But he does not promise to speak in the ways, okay, but he does not promise to speak in the ways he has spoken before or in new way. Okay, let me read this again. When God speaks, it sounds exactly like what he has already said through the Bible. We can all expect and believe that God will speak to us through the Bible, but he does not promise to speak in the ways he has spoken before or in new ways. Of all the ways we may hope or long for him to speak, he promises only that he will guide us by his son through his spirit in the Bible. Now this, they seem to try to pull back and say it's just the Bible. But if you look at all of that up there, they speak of it in present tense. So it seems that they're trying to kind of have this middle of the road. Look, God can speak in all of these other ways. He may speak in all of these other ways, but he only promises now to speak to us through the spirit, through the son, by the word. That's trying to kind of like, you want the best of both worlds here. And I'm not a fan of that in any way, shape or form. Then they go on to say, in this study, we're going to ask six questions. And with these questions, we can learn to separate what God is saying to us from the voices in the world calling for our attention. So they try to pull back a little bit, but to me, I I, I sense the game. Not only do I sense the game, the reason I know there's a game is I know the author. The author who wrote the curriculum for the next six weeks is Richard Blackaby, who wrote the book Experiencing God, or co-authored the book Experiencing God, and that thing is a theological train wreck. I had to go through Experiencing God at my church in Nebraska. Why in the world they were using that, I will never understand. That thing is a total, utter dumpster fire. I have no other words. I'm I'm not even going to try to be gracious. Right? I, I, I know someone else who, who's had to go through experiencing God, and they will tell you it's just as bad as I, I experienced. It was horrific. And I have no idea why our church in Nebraska was using it. They'd lost their ever living mind. I don't know. I know by the end of that, I wanted, oh, I wanted to just give up. And it was a lot of this experiential kind of thing. So they're trying to say, hey, God does speak in these ways, but it's not promised. What's promised is, is right here. However, we need to know, according to him, six questions to ask so we can separate what God is saying from the voices that the world that the world is calling for our attention. And already there seems to be confusing because if God is only speaking to me through in his, his word, why do I need six questions to figure out if that's God or if that's something else? If it's just the Bible then I I don't need six questions. I just need to know how to read and interpret the Bible. So already there, they're they're playing this really kind of doublespeak game. Hey, God speaks all of these ways. I mean, he only promises to speak to us through his word. However, because he can speak in these other ways as well, even though he hasn't promised, you need six questions so that you can discern when it's God and when it's not God. That is baffling to me. I like I agree with the person who said this would just create a burden. This would be this overwhelming sense of how do I know when God is talking to me? How do I know what God has said? I'm losing my mind. Is it me? Is it God? Is it you? What is it? Is it was it the power of suggestion? I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I would I would end up in a mental asylum. And I'm and I'm that I'm not saying that in hyperbole. I'm saying that someone just put Richard Blackaby, no, no, no. I agree. No, no, no. But here's my approach. I I disagree with Richard Blackaby on everything, but I'm going to be more than willing to work through this. But you see why they're going to try to go south and I'm going to try to go north. But I'm going to use what they give us to go north. And here's what I'm going to focus on. They mention the word, I think, three times in those couple of paragraphs. I think they three times, maybe four times. I'd have to go back and count. Anyone who looks at the curriculum, you can read that first paragraph and tell me what you see. I believe it's three or four times. And they may use uh, other words, but basically they mean the same thing. So maybe it's not the exact word, but the concept is there three to four times. Maybe even more times the concept. Discernment. We're going to spend seven weeks learning everything we can in regards to 
discernment. And I guarantee you that you're going to get irritated with me. You're going to get frustrated with me. And you're going to probably be very ticked off with me because I may create a lot of confusion and doubt in your mind. But I, I am not, I, I, oh, I have an issue with the way many Christians talk about discernment. But we're going to do our best to figure out what the Bible has to say in regards to discernment and see if we can figure out a biblical, historically Christian understanding of discernment that may can move us past this crazy subjective world of God does speak, he can speak, he may speak. We need this to figure out if that's God, if that's not. No, no, no. We're going to throw all of that out. But even if we throw all of that out, I want you to listen to me carefully. Even if we throw out all of the charismatic influenced nonsense, even if we throw out all of this God speaking in other ways, even if we reduce it to God is just speaking to us in the scriptures, I still think we are presented a massive problem when it comes to discernment. That's what we're going to work on for seven weeks. But for now, I'm not giving you any homework. I'm not going to give you any assignments because this is just preview. This is just all preview. This, this is not even the official kickoff. You just happen to show up to class a couple of days early, so you get extra stuff. And the other kids, when they finally show up for class, we won't tell them about this secret stuff. This is our own secret, just kind of private meeting, and they should have came to class earlier, right? So are you ready? Here we go. Here's what we're going to do. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday. I don't remember. It was, it was within the last 24 to 48 hours. I got a notification on my iPad and I, and it was a notification from one of the uh, podcast apps and it simply said a cup of discernment part one. I'm like a cup of discernment part one. You got my attention. You had me at discernment because I'm getting ready to do a seven week study on discernment. You've got my attention. So I was like, look it up. I looked it up. I grabbed the audio. I have it queued up. It's from Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Living. He does two parts on discernment. To get us ready for our study on discernment, we're going to listen to what he has to say. Now, right now, I could give you a definition of discernment. I have it pulled up. Literally, I have it right here. I have multiple definitions of discernment right here on my iPad, but we won't do that. We're going to just go to Chuck Swindoll. And we're going to review this. I don't know if we can review all of this in this episode. We may try. But I hope you're ready to go, all right? What we just read is this challenge that we've got to be able to discern the voice of God because God speaks in all of these different ways. However, it's only promised to speak to us through the Bible. However, we need at least six questions so that we can actually discern when God is speaking or not speaking. But if he's only speaking in the Bible, then I don't need these six questions because every time I read the Bible, I know it's God speaking. Okay, it's all baffling and confusing, but we are going to set that aside and we're going to just see, well, what we can start laying the groundwork. We're just going to lay a foundation for the concept of discernment. And I'm glad we have someone who's lived in that world because they can share how frustrating it can be, how maddening, how much of a burden it can be to constantly be trying to figure out, is God telling you something? But you, you're trying to apply all of these principles and it's so subjective and it's so based off emotions and feelings. That is, a, that is like a spiritual hell to me. That's what I would describe it as. We're going to try to move past that and see what we can learn about discernment and how it would be apply, how it apply to our life. So are you ready? All right, that's a 29-minute intro. But all of that is very important. Here we go. Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Living. I don't know the year this was preached uh, because a lot of the Insight for Living podcasts now are old messages by Chuck Swindoll. Remember, Chuck Swindoll had a profound impact on my early Christian life. Remember, it was every day after school, sitting there with a radio, a Bible, and a notebook, and pencils, taking notes. I would listen to John MacArthur, Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, and Chuck Swindoll, or Charles Swindoll. Um, and I would listen to these three, and I took notes. MacArthur taught me the importance of exposition and exegeting the text. 
Chuck Smith taught me absolutely nothing. I don't think I ever wrote down one thing. I Just me and his preaching disconnected. I, there was a disconnect. It did not work. Chuck Swindoll explained to me the importance of application. So MacArthur gave me like the, the focus on exegeting and interpreting. Swindoll gave me the importance of application. And I've tried to bring those two schools of thought and all of my teaching since then. We have to figure out what the text says. And then we got to figure out after we figure out what it says, then we got to figure out how do we apply this in a meaningful way. Right. So very, they're both very, uh, lots of influence in my life. I've seen, uh, uh, watched or how do, what would be the correct way? I have heard Chuck Swindoll preached live in Dallas. I believe it was Dallas. Um, maybe it was Fort Worth. Um, and uh, so I've heard him preach in person, and I've probably heard a bazillions of his sermons, read a good portion of his books. Don't, I don't always agree, but was majorly influential in my life. So here we go. I hope you're ready. If you can, notebooks open. Most importantly, thinking caps on. And let's see what kind of foundation he lays when it comes to the subject of discernment. I have a feeling we're not going to get very far. As followers of Christ, we need to be vigilant in testing what we hear from any Bible teacher. To accept instruction from a voice of authority without validation from the scriptures can be a recipe for disaster. And ladies and gentlemen, we have just encountered our first serious issue. If you think that the curriculum gave us a serious issue, for me, the curriculum describes a world of Christianity that I think everyone should flee from. But once you flee from that and you come into a world that says, hey, it's the word of God, you find yourself in a whole different world of difficulties. I'm going to back this up. Some of you probably did not even hear an issue with that. Some of you thought, man, that's just good stuff, okay? Or you weren't even paying attention because it was the intro. I want you to, I want you to put your thinking caps on here, all right? If I was at church and I was doing this for the congregation, I would force them to come up with an, I would be like, look, we're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything else until you give me an answer. What is the problem with this? What, what do you think the problem is with this, with, with what we just heard? I'm going to play it again. I'm going to open up the uh, Spreaker app. So if anybody wants to throw out their suggestion of what they think the problem is. All right, here we go. Someone says the reviews are probably my favorite. So helpful grows my discernment. Okay, well, I don't know if it grows anybody's. I know, I know it's probably fun to listen to me have typically breakdowns on the air, but that's okay. Okay, I am glad if it helps with discernment. All right, now here you go. I want you to exercise your own discernment. What do you think the problem is with what was just said? I'm going to play it again, right? Whoever gets this right gets $50,000. And if you don't have the discernment to know that I'm joking, you're going to be sadly disappointed. All right, here we go. Here we go. As followers of Christ, we need to be vigilant in testing what we hear from any Bible teacher. To accept instruction from a voice of authority without validation from the scriptures can be a recipe for disaster. All right, so a recipe for disaster is when you listen to preaching and then you don't test that preaching according to God's word. Now, 99% of all Christians will be like, amen, Absolutely. I mean, come on. That's what we're supposed to do. But don't you see the problem that arises with this? Does anybody see the possible problem that arises? The idea sounds great. In theory, the idea is the greatest thing ever. Oh, oh, there we go. Someone just put scriptural interpretation varies, right? So, so, so let's picture the scene, all right? So you're sitting, well, we won't use, just don't imagine it's yourself. Just imagine it's someone else. We'll call them, uh, who do we want to call them? We'll call them, uh, if I give a name, someone out there will have that name and go, he's talking about me. Okay, um, we'll call this person X. So person X is sitting in the pew. 
Now, he, he just heard Chuck Swindoll's radio program or podcast the other day, and he's like, okay, all right, it, it's dangerous for me. It could be very detrimental to my spiritual life not to pay close attention to what's being preached and test it with the word of God. So you're sitting there, the, the pastor says something, and then you're like, you open, person, well, I, I just said you, person X is sitting there, right? There's Mr. X over there. He's saying, oh, he's open. Now, the pastor's trying to preach. He's not even listening to the pastor anymore. He's over there flipping pages. He's got his notebook out. He's going. He's flipping pages. Because Mr. X, he's going to test what was just said with the word of God. And then Mr. X is like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. First John says, okay. Then Mr. X determines the pastor is wrong. Now, here's the thing. Mr. X is supposedly testing the pastor according to the word of God. And I guarantee you, if you ask the pastor, he's going to be telling you he tested what he's preaching by the word of God as, as well. So both are using the word of God. Both would cite the word of God as their final authority. So how are we really testing what's preached? Are we testing it with the word of God? I'm going to make a statement that's going to bother everyone. I don't think anybody is testing what's being preached by the word of God. You're testing what's being preached by your own interpretation of God's word. And then you're claiming that pastor, the pa- Mr. X is claiming the pastor is wrong because the pastor's interpretation is different than Mr. X's interpretation. But then Mr. X will say, this pastor is wrong. Go to another church claiming that the pastor was wrong the entire time based off his interpretation. Now we have to at least acknowledge this is this is a problem. I, I, are you and someone's going to immediately email me? Are you saying we should never try to figure? Out? I am not saying that. I'm saying we have to see the inherent problem. The reality is, in so many cases, we're making a discernment on whether something being preached is true or false. And if we're honest with ourselves, in many cases, we're not making that discernment based off scripture, but based off our interpretation of said scripture. If any semi-Pelagian, Pelagian, Arminian walks into my church, they're going to, and depending on what we're preaching at a given time, they may discern, according to them, according to scripture, that we're wrong because we preach, you know, a sovereign grace salvation. We preach a reformed understanding of total depravity and, 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 and everything else from irresistible grace and unconditional election and, and uh, perseverance of the saints. I'll just go on and on and on and I go through the whole tulip if we need to. And they would be like, they are wrong. I, I am testing what they say against the scriptures and they are wrong. And if I'm be like, oh, wait, I'm wrong according to the scriptures. No, let me tell you, Mr. Pelagian, Pelagianism was condemned in church history. You're wrong. Not only according to church history, according to the scriptures. Meaning that the minute we enter into the world of so-called discernment, (laughs) it's really the world of my interpretation versus your interpretation, and my interpretation is always right, and yours is always wrong. Meaning, the world of discernment already has some issues, and we have to be, we have to acknowledge that. Now, immediately, some of you are going, so, so what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Let, I, let me try my best to explain this. All we can do is try our best to rely on God's word. That's all we can do. Because God is not speaking to us in any other way. It's scripture alone. I do believe scripture is the final authority. I do believe everything we hear should be tested with scripture. But we have to approach it in the following ways. Number one, we have to, if, we, if you're not willing to acknowledge this, there's no hope. You've got to acknowledge that your interpretation at its very best is flawed in some way, shape, or form, and so is mine. Because we're, we're flawed human beings. We're sinners, and we're not all-knowing. Our interpretations are fallible. We all know that. So we have to start with, okay, we're fallible. We, 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 we ha- there has to be a humility, a humility in it, right? If there's no humility in it, we're in trouble. So we have to start off going, hey, my interpretation 
has some flaw in it somewhere, somehow, because it's coming from a flawed person who's a sinner, and all of my interpretations are fallible. That's number one. Number two, we have to do everything in our power that whenever we do open the scriptures to test someone that we're, that we, that before we do the test, and, and I, I, I hope this never makes any sense to someone, but I hope you understand this. So first we have to acknowledge in, in humility our own flaws and how fallible we are. And then number two, we have to do this. Whenever you get ready to test something, you have to throw, you have to ignore the test at first. And you have to say, what's the subject? What's the issue? What's the subject? What's the text? And immediately you have to throw out any previous interpretation you've ever held to that text. Because if not, if all you're going to do is like, I'm going to prove he's wrong. You're trying to prove, let's say you're trying to argue with me. You're going to prove me wrong, but you're, you're looking into the text to simply find your assumption that you're already right and that I'm already wrong. Like you're just sitting going, oh, 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 he didn't quote this scripture. You're already looking for that scripture and you're looking at it based off through the lens of your own assumption. Your, your presupposition has already tainted the way you see text. And you, not only do you do that, I do that. So first there has to be a humility that, that our interpretations are fallible. But number two, this is very important. When I'm getting ready to test someone's preaching, what I do is like, okay, what, what's the subject? What's the text? Okay, I don't care about proving them wrong. That's irrelevant to me now. They're irrelevant. They preach the message. I don't care now about testing them. What I care about doing is taking that subject and looking to the scriptures and not looking at them based off my assumptions or presuppositions or past study. I look at it anew. And, 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 and because of, see, the minute you go into it to find the scripture to prove the other person wrong, there's, you're, you're wasting your time because, because now it just becomes personal. Now it becomes pride. Now it becomes ego. Look, like, like I look, Richard Blackaby wrote this curriculum, but I don't want to go into the curriculum to prove Richard Blackaby wrong. I want to say, give me your, your, your take. All right. Thank you. Now ignore Richard Blackaby. Let's look at what the subject is. And let's look at the subject, not based on what I already think or what I've learned in the past. Let's look at it brand new. We've got to set, not only number one, do we need humility and acknowledge our, our own fallibility. Number two, we have to throw out every single time our pre presuppositions, our understanding, and we've got to approach the text to learn the text, not to prove someone wrong. So I guess you could really break it down into three, three things there, right? We need humility and acknowledge fallibility. Number two, we've got to throw out all of our past assumptions, learning, understanding of the text, and always look at it new and afresh without, in, without any previous ideas coming into play. And number three, we got to make sure we study the text and study the issue to find truth, not in order to prove someone wrong. Because the minute I go into do, to it to prove someone wrong, then I, I'm, coming, I'm going in tainted. I'm going in corrupted. But there's just this mindset that, hey, every sermon you hear, this is such, this is so built into the Protestant mindset. Hey, every sermon you hear, you test them. Now, immediately, you know what this creates. This creates the environment. It doesn't matter how many schools, I mean, and I already know this. Like, I, I, I may not have understood it when I was going to all the schools to get all of the degrees and to get a degree in theology and a degree and a degree in biblical studies and a degree in religious education and, 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 and going to school for a degree in Catholic theology it, it, and all the Bible institutes and all the seminaries and all the Bible colleges. Uh, work, 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 work. I wish I would have known that none of it matters to anyone. Nobody cares at all how many hours I study. Nobody cares at all how many schools I go to. Because the minute I cite something, one, within the Protestant mindset, they believe they have the power, the right, and the authority to say, you're wrong, you mishandled the scriptures, and I'm right. Number two, they literally believe that they have the same ability to interpret the text as someone who spent years studying it. 
because they believe that they have the ability supernaturally. And if they have the ability supernaturally, I don't know why then we expect our pastors to go to school because what's the point of going to school if the person sitting in the pew who maybe have never even read the entire book will quote a scripture from that book to prove the pastor wrong and say the pastor's wrong. Now this leads to, all I'm trying to say, please hear me out because someone's going to misunderstand. Someone's going to misconstrue this. You say, so you never challenge, you never test? No, you challenge and test. But there's a way to go about, in other words, you've got to ensure that you have humility, understanding your fallibility. You've got to understand that you are setting aside your presuppositions and you're just reading the text to find out the truth. And number three, you're not trying to find out the truth simply to prove someone wrong. But, but this, it, this is why Christi- Protestant Christianity, there's church split after church split after church split after church split after church split. It's just the never-ending musical chairs of church splits. Because everyone can hear a sermon, quote a scripture, you're wrong. Close their Bible, and then leave the church and go somewhere else and go somewhere else going, I was right and they were wrong. Now I look, I've please understand. I am not saying because people will misconstrue this and think you're saying, well, so I'm never supposed to speak out. I'm never supposed to challenge. I'm never supposed to leave. I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form. I'm saying there is a way to approach it. There is a way to approach it. To me, it's much easier to deal with when you're sitting in a church and you look around and you're like, uh, hey guys, I thought we were, I'll just, I'm just going to throw out a random example. I thought we were a Southern Baptist church who kind of held to a more of a Bible alone concept. And I don't know if anybody's looked around lately. I think we're three seconds away from Bethel. All right. Now that's a different story, right? Because now that's not coming down to my interpretation. That's they've ado- adopted an entire different system of theology. That's like where the church has completely changed its theology. That is a little easier to deal with. That, that's, that's easier to deal with because now you're not getting into, well, my interpretation. You're like, you've adopted a whole different system of theology than I'm holding to. That's easier to deal with. That's a little bit easier to deal with. But it sounds so good that every Christian should sit there. Every Christian should sit there. And listen to every sermon, and then basically now I'm going to go test it up upon God's word. But it's just bizarre to me because so so you're telling me so that I mean literally what that means is the pastor literally has zero authority. It, 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 the pastor is irrelevant. He preaches. You determine what, if what the preacher says is true or false based off your, in many cases, very limited study. I mean, I've watched this play out my whole Christian life. And let me make it be very clear. Some of those principles I've been guilty of. Because in the past, I've had uh, disagreements and arguments with pastors, and I did not show humility and probably did not act like that my interpretation was fallible, but that it was infallible. All right. In many cases, I was arguing based off my previous study and not off me setting aside everything and studying again and anew and afresh. And number three, in many cases, it became about me proving them wrong more than me finding truth. I've been guilty of all of that. So I'm not here telling everyone I've got it all figured out figured out because I've been guilty of this. But we do have to ask, does pastors have any authority at all? Or, or are they just, they're just, I mean, do we even need a pastor? Now, on, on one hand, Protestants will see, absolutely we do, until you disagree, <laughs> okay, then you don't. I'm saying once you enter into the world of discernment, this raises questions in exactly how we carry this out. 
And are we doing so in any what of a meaningful way? I know we haven't made it very far. I'm going to back this up. <laughs> okay. I'm going to back this up, play the introduction again, and then we'll see how far we can make it. As followers of Christ, we need to be vigilant in testing what we hear from any Bible teacher. To accept instruction from a voice of authority without validation from the Scriptures can be a recipe for disaster. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll presents message number two in his teaching series called Growing Deep in the Christian Life. In this study, we'll be... Someone is giving me a hard time saying we're still on the first sentence of the sermon. Yeah, people got jokes out there today. People making fun of me today. Hey, look, we we review every sentence of every sermon. Okay, I'm in fact, just because now, now, now I'm just gonna prove a point. We're gonna play, we're gonna play that again. As followers of Christ, we need to be vigilant in testing what we hear from any Bible teacher. To accept instruction from a voice of authority without validation from the Scriptures can be a recipe for disaster. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll presents message number two in his teaching series called Growing Deep in the Christian Life. In this study, we'll be reminded that the perfect ingredients for a wholesome biblical meal always include sound scriptural doctrine. And that requires a personal working knowledge of God's Word and a measure of sensitivity. And just please note how this works. And I agree. We need doctrine. We need sound theology. I I agree. But I just want you to just at least embrace a little bit of the subjective nature to this. Because what you declare to be sound biblical theology, someone else will not. And did did he tell you what you need? your own personal knowledge of Scripture and sensitivity. So what it comes down to is your own personal interpretation, your own personal interpretation and your sensitivity to that which goes against your own personal interpretation. There there is such a subjective nature to this within the Protestant world. And I know it makes it, people get so nervous when I say this. Remember, within the history of Christianity, Remember, you really, it boils down to two systems of thought. And I know that many of you are going to disagree with this, but this is the unintended consequences of the Protestant Reformation. As much as I agree with the Reformation, we have to acknowledge the unintended consequences that did irreparable damage to Christianity. We just have to acknowledge this. You have a system that says, no, 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 no. The church is the authority The church is the only one that can interpret the scripture, and the church's interpretation of that scripture is authoritative. You listen to the church, you go with what they say. Now, that at least eliminates all of, you know, that eliminates millions of little popes and little people running around claiming that their interpretation is authoritative. No, the church. You have to look to the church. Right now, there's dangers in that, and there's obviously very negative consequences to that. But you can at least see how it eliminates all of the chaos, right? The church speaks, they uh, offer dogmatic declarations, what they say is true, and I, I surrender to that authority. Or your second option is, and I, I, know, I know what you're going to say, that scripture is the authority. It, we say that, but what it, the second option is, I become the authority, Whether we like it or not, the unintended consequences of the Protestant Reformation was to replace the authority of the church with the authority of self. Now, self says, this is what God says. This is true. And anyone who disagrees is anathema. And I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how many years you've studied the Bible. I opened my Bible last night and read three verses, and I already know you're wrong. I don't like it. I Look, I, oh, I know I'm, get, I'm making people so angry at me. Don't get mad at me. This is just the historical reality. I mean, look what happened. Luther said, nope. Not going to listen. I'm going to stand on the word of God alone. I'm not going to surrender to the Catholic Church and to what you're saying. 
So he, in a sense, he broke away. He stood against it. Well, how long did it take for people to go, I'm not going to listen to Luther. Luther is wrong. Luther is wrong about infant baptism. Luther is wrong about the Lord's Supper. Luther is wrong about this. Luther is wrong. And then boom, they broke away. And then other people are like, no, 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 no. Calvin is wrong. And then Zwingli is wrong. And then you know, they're wrong. 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 And then every group just kept saying the other person's wrong. The other person's wrong. The other person is wrong. Well, still there, even though it was one group breaking away from another group, at least you had a group and the pastor still seemed to have some authority. But that just basically gave way to each individual is their own pope, their own magisterium. They declare what is right. They declare what is wrong. And their discernment becomes dogma. Anytime I say this, people get so upset with me. They get so upset with me. And I, I usually just let them calm down. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. But then just, I just, and the reason I say that is all I know is I just have to wait a little bit, right? I just keep teaching. They keep listening because it won't be long that they're going to tell me, nope, your interpretation is wrong. I'm be like, this is exactly what I told you happens, right? I mean, sooner or later, you're going to tell me, nope, 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 nope. No, the scripture is the authority, but find it at some point. I'm preaching the scripture, and then you're going to end up emailing me saying, nope, your interpretation of scripture is wrong. So which comes down to it, it's not the scripture, it's our interpretations. We become the authority, even though we try to claim it's the word of God. Our lives can become two-dimensional if we're not careful. Devoid of depth and color and excitement. And that makes us unhealthy and imbalanced, rather than vital and whole. This often happens if we acquire knowledge without also gaining the depth of discernment. The Bible gives us an inspired recipe for a balanced, healthy approach to life that requires a cup of discernment mixed in well with biblical knowledge. There are many negative and positive examples in the scriptures, and we'll be looking at several. But the church members in Berea had the right attitude. They were a positive example of mixing discernment with biblical knowledge. Let me read a couple of verses for you from Acts 17 out of the Amplified Bible. Acts 17, verses 11 and 12. Now, these Jews in Berea were better disposed and more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they were entirely ready and accepted and welcomed the message concerning the attainment through Christ of eternal salvation in the kingdom of God with inclination of mind and eagerness, searching and examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore became believers together with not a few prominent Greeks, women as well as men. Okay, <laughs> that's where we're going to have to stop because we're already at basically an hour. So we made it two minutes and 42 <laughs> seconds into this. But are we not off to a wonderful start? We're off to a great start because I'm trying to show you all of the profound issues that surround the subject of discernment. Like most sermons about discernment, it just make it so, hey, okay, for now, they, depending on their theology, hey, you got to discern all of, God could be speaking in this way, in this way, in this way, so you need all of these ways to discern it. Or even in a church, someone is laughing at me, someone in a church that says, no, God only speaks through his word. They, they typically preach discernment in such a, I, I think, a naive way. Hey, guys, how do you discern? You got to read and study your Bible. And they don't bother to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, are we, how do we really do discernment here? How, how does discernment really, really work? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you to understand all of the ramifications of it. When we say, hey, 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 look, you right there, you sitting in the pew. It's your job. Not only do you have the power, not only do you have the authority, 
You have the responsibility that every time you hear a sermon, you decide, is it true or is it false? Is it right or is it wrong? Is it good or is it bad? And you decide that by your own study of God's word, because God's word's the authority and everybody in the church says, amen. (laughs) Well, one, that immediately eliminates any real authority the pastor has. Two, is it really the Bible or is it just us, our own interpretation? So the question is, when it comes to discernment, what's the real authority? What's the real basis of discernment? God's word are our own selves. Email me. News, if at yahoo.com, news, if at yahoo.com, news, if at yahoo.com. Love to get your thoughts on this very wonderful and encouraging beginning of a Bible study exercise series that I think we all need to give much thought to, but I think it's going to make many of us extremely uncomfortable. Can't wait to get your thoughts. Everyone have a wonderful day. God bless.